Alright guys, and welcome back to the Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. I want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas. I know it's real, real late and it's the beginning of the new year, but I wanted to wish everyone a very happy holiday season. I hope you guys had a great Christmas. I'm going to be doing my Christmas episode and then I'm going to be doing my New Year's Eve and New Year's Day episode tonight and I hope you guys will stay tuned for those episodes and please welcome to the show today for our Christmas episode Mr. James Stewart, Miss Donna Reeds and we bring back Mr. Orson Wales to the program as he tells the story of a Christmas carol as we remind ourselves what the holidays are really about it's not about what gifts we have it's what we have been given to us by the Almighty God our freedom in faith our family in love and every day we live in this great country of ours that is what the holiday season is all about and as we remind ourselves what the holiday season is really about we remind ourselves how blessed we are to have a great and wonderful God who expresses laughter through our children and our grandchildren I hope you guys enjoy Mr. James Stewart and Miss Donna Reeds in the Lux Radio Theater presentation of It's a Wonderful Life and Mr. Orson Welles' Campbell Playhouse production of A Christmas Carol. And stay tuned after the program to hear Mr. Ben Crosby sing a couple of songs. Thanks and enjoy the show, guys. presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore in It's a Wonderful Life. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we bring you one of the season's most inspiring hits, a Liberty Films production that's been nominated for the highest screen award. Yes, it's a wonderful life. And we present it now with its original fine stars, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Jimmy in the role which won him a nomination for the best performance of the year. Also in our cast is starred that fine comedian, Victor Moore. It's a Wonderful Life is the drama of a typical American. Might be you, it might be me. He dreams of glory, he lives in hope, he loves and doubts, uh, and only providence puts a final value on his service to humanity. Our story starts before the war, when life was normal. Shortages were generally unknown, and simple luxuries like Lux soap were abundant. 
I won't say that's the only reason people said it's a wonderful life, but I do know from the thousands of letters in our files that most of them said it's a wonderful soap. And they keep right on saying it day after day. In fact, the popularity of Lux Soap is what makes it possible to present such entertainment as Frank Capra's great production, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary Hatch, and Victor Moore as Clarence. This is the story of George Bailey, citizen of Bedford Falls, New York. George Bailey, who more than anything under the sun wanted to see the world, the wonderful, exciting world that lay somewhere beyond the limits of his hometown. Oddly enough, this story does not begin in Bedford Falls. In fact, it doesn't begin anywhere in the world. It begins in heaven, where the superintendent of angels has just summoned an apprentice angel named Clarence. Oh, I, I'm really going down to earth, sir? Oh, how splendid. Yes. There's a very discouraged man down there, Clarence. George Bailey. At exactly 10.45 p.m., earth time... He'll be thinking seriously of ending his life. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Now, I want you to stop him if you can. Now, sit down, sit down. I'll give you Bailey's case history. Uh, sir, if, uh, if I should accomplish my mission, may I perhaps get my wings? I've been waiting over 200 years now, and, well, people are beginning to talk. Clarence, what's that book? The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, sir. I was reading it when you sent for me. Oh, fine book. Excellent. Well, you do a good job on George Bailey, and we'll see about your wing. Oh, thank you, sir. Now, listen. When George Bailey was a boy, two events occurred that you should keep in mind. One was when his young brother, Harry, fell through the ice and almost drowned. George saved him. Brother fell through the ice. George saved him. Ever since, George's had a bad ear. All that icy water, you understand. Yeah, bad air, yes, sir. The other event came a few months later. George used to work after school in Mr. Gower's drugstore. One day, Mr. Gower's only son died of influenza. It was a terrible blow, and poor Mr. Gower tried to lose his grief in whiskey. Where you been, George? Mrs. Blaine's called twice. What happened to her prescription? You lost it, didn't you? No, Mr. Gower. Here it is. Well, you good for nothing. Don't you know that Blaine girl's very sick? Mr. Gower, my ear. You're hurting my sore I'll ear. teach you to loaf, you lazy brat. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. Shut up. Oh, I know you feel bad, but look, Mr. Gower, look. This bottle, you use this bottle to make up the capsules. It's poison. Don't hurt my story again, Mr. Gower. Oh, George. That's why you deliver, Mr. Gower. All I wanted was to make sure. George, George. Well, Clarence, that was George Bailey as a boy. When he grew up, he wanted to go to college, but there just wasn't the money. So he worked four years in the Building and Loan Association. Building and Loan Association? Oh, I forgot to tell you. George's father was in the building and loan business. He and George's uncle, Billy. High ideals and low bank account. Anyway, George worked for his father and saved enough to see him through the university. That summer, though, he was going to Europe. Got a job on a cattle boat. Do a little traveling before cotton. 
Boy, oh boy, oh boy, it's hard to realize that my last night in the Bailey boarding house. We're sure going to miss you, George. Oh, I'm going to miss you too, Pop. Hey, what's the matter? You look tired. Oh, I had another tussle with old Henry Potter today. Well, I thought when you put him on the board of directors, he'd ease up. Oh, so did I. I just can't understand a man like Mr. Potter. He can't begin to spend all the money I he has. I guess Potter owns about everything he wants in Bedford Falls, except our building and loan. That's why he hates us. Hey, George, can I borrow your tuxedo studs? Yeah, help yourself, Harry. Well, where are they? In your suitcase? Well, I'm not taking a tuxedo on a cattle boat, you hey, know. Say, where'd you get that suitcase anyway? Oh, Mr. Gower, going away present. And one of these days, you're going to see that bag all covered with travel labels. Italy and Baghdad, Samarkand. Going to have a pretty full summer, eh? I'm going to have a pretty full life. Hey, why don't you come to the dance tonight? Why, I'd be bored to death. Well, you couldn't want a better death. Lots of pretty girls. Hey, I got a hurry. I wish we could send Harry to college with you, George. Oh, we've got that all figured out now, Pop. He'll take over my job at the building and loan, work four years like I did, and then he'll go. Well, he's pretty young for that job. Well, no younger than I was. <laughs> Maybe you were born older, George. Huh? George, when you get out of college, I don't suppose you'd come back to the building and loan. Oh, oh now, Pop, I... I... I just couldn't. I, I couldn't face being cooped up the rest of my life in a shabby little office. I, I, oh, I, I'm sorry, Pop. Now, I, I didn't mean that, but it's just this business of nickels and dimes. I'd go crazy. I, I want to do something big, something important. Well, in a small way, we are doing something important, George. In that shabby little office, we help people figure out how they can own their own homes. I know, I know, Pop. I, I just wish I felt that I... I, I but I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. I... You're right, boy. You get yourself an education, then get out of here. Oh, Pop, you... Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a pretty great guy. Well, thanks, George. I'm glad to hear it. Look, um, why don't you go on over to Harry's dance? You'd have a good time. Well, I don't know. Maybe it will drop in. Yeah, maybe it will at that. So, George Bailey went to a dance. Is that important, Joseph? Why, it was at the dance he met Mary Hatch. Oh. And three hours later, he was walking her home. George and Mary were feeling pretty good, Clarence. As a matter of fact, wonderful. Buffalo girls, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo girls, can't you come out tonight? And dance by the light. Dog, oh boy, just like an organ. At Gee least. <laughs> hey, you know, you know something? If it wasn't me talking, I'd say you were the prettiest girl in town. Well, why don't you say it? Well, I don't know. Maybe I will. Hey, how old are you anyway? Eighteen. Eighteen? Too young or too old? No, no, no. It's just right. It sort of fits you. Hey, hey, look where we are. Hmm? Oh, the old Granville house. Yeah, I got to throw a rock. Oh, no, don't. I, I love that old house. Well, no, don't you know about deserted houses? You, you make a wish and then throw a rock. George, but it, it was such a lovely old place. I wish I lived there. In there? I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. Now, watch. Watch this. Here we go. How about it, huh? Pretty good shot, huh? Broke a window, huh? <laughs> What'd you wish, George? Oh, I don't know. Not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. And then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields and skyscrapers a hundred stories high and bridges a mile long. And then I'm going to... Hey. Hey, Mary. 
What is it you want? What do you want, huh? You want the moon? All you got to do is just say the word now. Okay, the moon, I'll take it. Then what? Then what? Well, well, then you could swallow it, and, and it'd dissolve like an aspirin, you know. And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and the ends of your hair, and the, the uh, you, you think I'm talking too much? Yes, why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to death? How's that? Uh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Why? Hey, just a minute, mister. Hey, you come back here. I'll show you some kissing George, if you want to. George! Hey, Uncle Billy, look here. I'm going to kiss Mary. Watch. George, get in the car quick. Your father's had a stroke. What? what? George, had... get in. Hurry. Well, George's father died that night, Clarence. So, of course, George couldn't go to Europe. But that fall, just as he was ready to leave for college, the directors of the building and loan had a meeting. They were going to appoint a successor to Mr. What was that you said, Mr. Potter? I said as long as Peter Bailey's dead, let's dissolve the building and loan. We don't need it. Now, wait a minute. Now, you wait a minute. Peter Bailey was not a businessman. Ideals without common sense can ruin a town. What do we get? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. Oh, hold on, Mr. Potter. Hold oh, on. Just I meant a no disrespect, George, but. Oh, wait a minute, Hire. Why my father ever started this cheap penny ante building and loan, I'll never know. But just remember this, Mr. Potter, this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and the paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him. But to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, Mr. Potter, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book, George. I'm talking about the building and loan. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on that's galling. That's what you're talking about. Well, this town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can borrow a few dollars without crawling to you. Now, come on, Uncle Billy. What happened, George? Yeah, all we heard was a lot of yelling. Boy, oh, boy, you should have heard, George. Yeah, they're in there voting us out of business. Oh, who cares? I can get another job. I'm only 41. 45. Will you get out of here, George? You missed your boat trip. Do you want to miss college, too? George, we've just voted Potter down. We're still in business. Whoopee! We're still in business. We're still in business. But there's one condition, George. They've appointed you to take your father's place. Appoint me? But I'm going to college. Look, this is my last chance. Uncle Billy's your man. Uh, George, you've got to take it. They'll vote with Potter otherwise. They said so. They even... I know George Bailey didn't go to college. That's right, Terrence. He gave his, his college money to Harry. Harry went instead. But what happened to that good-looking girl, you know, Mary? Old George saw her now and then. Not very often, though, because Mary went away to school, too. Anyway, George waited four years more for Harry to come back and take over the building and loan. He could still see the world. He planned to work in the oil fields, Venezuela. Except when Harry came home, he wasn't alone. There was a girl with him, his wife. George? Yeah, I'm out here on the porch, Mother. I just thought I'd get some air. Well, how, how do you like your new sister-in-law? Oh, she's swell. Looks like she can keep Harry on his toes. Yeah, yeah, and keep him out of Bedford Falls anyway. What do you mean? Well, Ruth's father, she's, he's got a wonderful job for Harry up in Buffalo. Buffalo? Well, that means you... Yeah. You can't... Yeah. George, uh, did you know Mary Hatch is back from school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice girl, Mary. Mm-hmm. Oh, stop grunting. Mm-hmm. Give me one good reason why you shouldn't call on Mary. Well, Sam Wainwright. Sam's crazy about Mary. Well, she's not crazy about him. Well, now, how do you know that? Did she discuss it with you? How do you... Besides, 
Fan's away in New York. Oh, and all's fair in love and war. Uh -huh, I see. Okay, Mother, I think I'll go out and find that girl and do a little passionate necking. Oh, George. <laughs> Bye, Miss Bailey. By the way, do you want any books at the library? Library? George! George, you go and see Mary. Do you hear? Oh, oh, hello, Mary. Well, are you coming in? I just happened to be passing by here. Oh, I thought you were picketing. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? About what? About coming in. Your mother just phoned. She said you were coming over. My mother just phoned. What does she mean, Carla? I, I, I just happened to be passing by, that's all. I didn't... Well... Well, all right, I'll come in for a minute, but I, I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. You, you feel I can't go out for a walk nowadays without you. When did when, you get back? Tuesday. Right. When did you get that dress? Do you like it? It's all right. <laughs> well, no point standing here on the porch. Come on in. I, I still can't understand it. I didn't tell anybody I was coming here, you know. Would you rather leave? Well, no, I don't want to be rude. <laughs> Sit down for a while. It's nice about your brother and Ruth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Don't you like her? Well, of course I like her. She's a peach. Oh, just marriage in general you're not enthusiastic about, hmm? No, no. Marriage is all right for a lot of people. It's all right for Harry and Sam Wainwright and you. And... For Sam? Harry? It's George Bailey, Mother. What's he want? I don't know. What do you want? Me? I, not a thing. Not a thing. And I, I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. You just tell him to go right back home. Sam said he'd call you tonight from New York, didn't he? I guess so. How about some music? Uh, you know, your mother needs... A, you know, I didn't come here to... What did you come here for, then? Uh, I don't know. You're supposed to be the one with all the answers. You tell me. Oh, why don't you go home? I don't know why I came here in the first place. Good night. Good night. Okay, the way you're shouting, you'd think that... You'd think what? All right, I'll get it. George, on your way out, would you mind turning off the phonograph? I'd be very happy to. I've gone crazy, Saul. Hello? Sam? Mary! Gee, it's good to hear your voice. How are you, Sam? I forgot my hat. Hee-haw. What? Oh, I, I was just talking to an old friend of yours, George Bailey. Old Mossback George? Old Mossback George. Well, put him on. I'll talk to him, too. Wait a second. George! He doesn't want to speak to George. He does so. He asked for him. Why'd you call me? Because if you are, I, I'm in a hurry. I got... Sam wants to talk to you. Oh. Oh. Hiya, Sam. Hey, fine pal you are, trying to steal my girl. Now, what do you mean? Nobody's trying to steal anybody's girl. Here, Mary, take the... No, no, here. no. Wait, wait, George. I want to speak to you both. Tell Mary to get in the extension upstairs. He says for you to get on the extension upstairs. I can't. Mother's on the extension. I am not. We can both hear, George. Just put your head a little closer. What? Yeah, that's, that's better. Uh, we're, we're listening, Sam. Well, I have a big deal coming up. It's going to make us all rich. George, remember that time you told me about making plastics out of soybeans? Soybeans, yeah. Yeah, soybeans, yeah. Well, yeah, my yeah. father's checked into it, George, see? And now he's going to put up a factory. How do you like that? A factory, huh? And yeah. here's the point, George. I may have a job for you unless you're still married to that broken-down building and loan. Oh, Mary? Uh, I'm here. You tell that guy I'm giving him a chance of a lifetime. Do you hear? He says it's the chance of a lifetime. And give me that phone. Here's George again, Sam. George! Now, you listen to me, Mary. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any job, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. Do you understand that? 
I want to do what I want to do, and and you're not going to trick me. And you're, Mary. Mary. Oh, Mary, darling, I, I love you, Mary. So George Bailey and Mary Hatch were... Yes, George and Mary were married. Mm. And they started off on their honeymoon in Ernie Bishop's taxi cab. Hey, where are you two going on this here now, honeymoon? We're going to shoot the works, Ernie. A whole week in New York, a whole week in Bermuda, the highest hotel, the oldest champagne, the hottest music, and the prettiest wife. <laughs> so you're finally getting out of Bedford Falls, huh? Then what? Then what, honey? After that, who cares? That does it. Hey, you know, Mrs. Bailey, I haven't kissed you. Hey, George, I'm... there's something funny going on over there. Look, look over there with the bank. It looks huh? like a run. All right. Pull over a minute, will you, Ernie? George, let's not stop. Please, let's go straight to the no, station. No, wait a minute. Well, I'd better see what it is. I'll be right back. George, please. George! In a few moments, we'll return with the second act of It's a Wonderful Life, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Meanwhile, here's our Hollywood reporter, Libby Collins. Looking very smart, too, may I say. Well, thank you, Mr. Keeley. You know, after seeing Paulette Goddard's wardrobe for Paramount's new comedy, Suddenly It's Spring, I just had to rush out and buy something new. Looking at all those lovely clothes was just too much for my self-control. Well, you look stunning, Libby. Oh, thank you again, Mr. Keeley. Now, tell me about the picture. I understand that Paulette's portrayal of an ex-whack is truly delightful. Oh, yes, it is. And Fred McMurray gives a perfect characterization of her wayward husband. Between the two of them, suddenly it's spring as a high-spirited comedy with emphasis on the romantic side. Well, naturally. <laughs> but really, Mr. Keeley, that wardrobe of Miss Goddard certainly will make close-conscious girls sit up and take notice. I'll bet you think so, too, Mr. Kennedy. Well, Libby, men seldom know much about styles. What I notice about a dress is the general effect when a woman wears it. Some girls always seem to have that right-on-the-beam look. You know what I mean. <laughs> well, I think what you have in mind, Mr. Kennedy, is good grooming. Screen stars certainly put great emphasis on it. A perfect hairdo, fresh, beautifully cared-for skin. Those are essentials. That must be the reason Lux Toilet Soap continues to be a studio standby, no matter how often other styles change. Well, that's what Miss Goddard told me. She says her beauty facials are so quick and easy and work so well. She's never without a supply of Lux Toilet Soap. I can depend on it for daily complexion care, she said. I wish you'd tell the ladies in our audience how easy these Lux Soap facials are, Libby. Well, here's what Paulette Goddard does. She says, I cover my face with the fragrant Lux Soap lather and work it well in. I rinse with warm water, then cold, and use a soft towel to pat my skin dry. Gives skin quick new beauty, she says. Daily Lux Soap facials do make skin lovelier. Recent tests by skin specialists proved it. In, in three out of four cases, complexions became softer and smoother in, in just a short time. A lovely Lux complexion makes a woman so attractive. I wish every girl who hasn't tried Lux toilet soap would begin using it tomorrow. That's sound advice, Libby. When nine out of ten screen stars recommend a beauty soap, you know it has to be good. So why not try Lux toilet soap, Hollywood's own complexion soap? We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
two of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary, and Victor Moore as Clarence. Well, we're back in heaven again, where the superintendent of angels is reviewing the case history of a mortal named George Bailey. Clarence, the apprentice angel, is very eager to depart on his mission to the earth. Poor George Bailey. Oh, he's certainly in desperate trouble, Joseph. I'll go to him at once. Now, you sit down, Clarence. Sit down. We're nowhere near the point where George Bailey's thinking of taking his life. We're not? Now, uh, where were we? Uh, Oh, yes, yes. George and Mary had just started out on their honeymoon when they ran smack into the financial panic of 1932. In the waiting room of the building and loan, a hundred frantic people were clamoring for their safety. Hey, what's going on, Uncle Billy? What's happened? All those people out there. This is a pickle, George. All I know is the bank called our loan an hour ago. I had to hand over all our cash. Holy mackerel. Whole town's gone crazy. Bank's in the same spot we are. Our charter, too. What about our charter? Our charter says we have to stay open until 6 p.m. The state can take away our license if we don't. How can we stay open until 6 without any money? George, where are you going? Out to talk to those people. Come on. Now, please. Now, please, folks. Now, just a minute. Just a minute. Now, please. How about our money, George? Where's our money? Now, come on. Now, please. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, listen to me. Now, you're thinking of this place all wrong. Your money's not here. Now, wait a minute. Now, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Your money's in people's houses. In the Kennedy house, in the McLaren house, and in your house, and a hundred others. Now, what are you going to do? Foreclose on them? I got $240 in shares. Now, let me have it. All right. All right, Charlie. Now... You'll get your money in 60 days. 60 days? Well, now, look, that's what you, that's what you agreed on when you bought your shares. I got my money! Well, yes. Old man Potter's taking over the bank. He'll pay you 50 cents on every dollar. Then let's take our shares to Potter. Half is better than nothing. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Please, folks, I beg of you not to do this. If Potter gets hold of your shares, he'll be owning this building and loan. And he's got the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us because he wants to keep you living in his shacks and paying the kind of rent he decides to charge. Now, we can get through this thing, all right, but we've got to stick together. We've got to have faith in each other. My husband's out of work. We need money. I've got doctor bills to pay. I can't feed my kids on faith. Well, that's what you need. We still got some money. Hey, Mary. Here it is, George. You told me to hold on to it. Would have made a nice honeymoon. Bought furniture, too. Hey, now, wait a minute, folks. Listen. I've got $2,000. All right, Charlie, how much do you need? $240. No, Charlie, now listen. Just enough to tide you over. I said $240. Okay, okay. Uncle Billy, give Charlie $240. All right, Ed. Now, how much just to get by? Oh, $20, I suppose. Oh, you're talking. Now, you're Mrs. Thompson. How about you? $20 will do me. Good, good. $20, Uncle Billy. Pay it back when you can now. Pay it back when you can. All right, all right. Who's next? Who's next? Look at the clock. Look. Five seconds, four seconds, three, two, one. Six o'clock. We made it. Lock that door, Eustace. Quick. Boy, we're still in business, Uncle Billy. We've even got two bucks left, hmm? George, there's a call for you. Okay, and then call my wife, will you? She's probably over at Mother's. Mrs. Bailey's on the line. No, I don't want Miss Bailey. I want my wife, Mrs. Bailey. Miss Bailey, that, that's my wife. That's my, uh, give me the phone, will you? Hey, Mary, Ma- listen, Mary, I'm sorry. I, I, hmm? Come home. Well, what home? Well, 323 Sycamore. Well, whose home is that? What? Well, Mary, how can I... Well, sure, all right, sure, I'll, I'll be there. Clarence, guess what 323 Sycamore was? His mother-in-law's house, huh? Oh, no. Number 323 Sycamore was the old Granville house, the one George threw rocks at and made wishes. 
Yes, sir, that's where they spent their honeymoon. That's where they started housekeeping. They were still living there two years later when old man Potter asked George to stop over at his office. Sit down, George. Sit down, Lou. Uh, have a cigar? Well, thank you, sir. Uh, George, you're a young man, married, making, say, $40 a week at the building and loan. Forty-five. Forty-five. Now, if you were some ordinary yokel, I'd say you were doing fine. But George Bailey is intelligent, ambitious. He hates the building and loan almost as much as I do. He's been dying to get out of town ever since he was born, but he's trapped. Trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters... Do I paint a correct picture, George, or do I exaggerate? Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point is that you're the only man in town who has licked me. George, I want to hire you. Manage my affairs. I'll start you off at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? Are you sure you're talking to me? I'm George Bailey. Don't you remember me? The building and loan, remember? Yes, George Bailey, whose ship has just come in, providing he has sense enough to climb aboard. Well, but, but... What about the building and loan? Confound it, man. I'm offering you a three-year contract at $20,000 a year. Is it a deal or isn't it? No, no. The answer's no doggone it. If you offered me a million dollars to stay around this town and play stooge to you, the answer'd still be no. Now, let me alone. Don't bother me. George, what did Mr. Potter want? Oh, it's nothing. He just talked, talked. It's nothing. Oh, gee. Mary Hatch. Mary, why in the world did you ever marry a guy like me, anyway? <laughs> to keep from being an old maid. I was going to see the world. I was going to build things. I was going to give you the moon. What have I given you? What have I given you? Not even a new dress, not for months. I... Gee whiz, I feel awful. So do I. Mornings, especially. I could have married Sam Wainwright, anybody else in town. I didn't want to marry anybody else. I want my baby to look like you. No, you didn't even have a honeymoon, and I promised you that you, 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 you what? My baby. You're, you, you, hey, Mary, Mary, you mean you're on the nest? A boy. You don't say. Then she had another one. A girl. Well, what do you know? Night after night, George had come home late from the office. Things weren't good with the building and loan. Potter was really bearing down on him. Then came the war. Mary had another baby by then. Oh. But she still had time to help out in USO. Uncle Billy sold war bonds. And George's brother Harry became a real hero. Shot down 15 planes. But, George, what about George? Well, George was 4F, his bad ear. He was an air raid warden. On VE day, he wept and prayed. On VJ day, he wept and prayed again. We're, uh, we're getting pretty close to today, aren't we, sir? Yes, Clarence. You now know almost everything you have to know about George Bailey, except what happened that finds him down there at this moment, wanting to die. Well... Well, well, today's the day before Christmas, uh, Earth time. George is pretty excited. Hey, Tilly, Eustace, 
Hey, look at the newspaper. Commander Harry Bailey, decorated by the president. That's my kid brother. The Congressional Medal of Honor. Gosh, George, gosh. What do you think about the 15 Jap planes? And the last one he got was just about to dive into a transport loaded with soldiers. You know what that means? He saved lives, hundreds of lives. Gee, where's Uncle Billy? Huh? Oh, gone to the bank, George. He's oh. depositing that $8,000. Good, good, good. Go. Who's that in his office there? It's that man again, the bank examiner. Uh-oh, oh, yeah. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Carter. Hey, uh, Telly, get the books from Mr. Carter, will you? You know, that's my brother's picture there, Mr. Carter. He shot down 15 planes, and one of them was... Well, well, Mr. Henry F. Potter, come to the bank to deposit some more loot, eh? Sure, you old fool. How do you like the news in the paper, Mr. Potter? Just can't keep those Bailey boys down now, can you? Oh, let me see that newspaper. Here, sorry I can't chat, you old thief. Gotta make a deposit. Uh, here you are, Horace, deposit slip, bank book, and a very Merry Christmas to you. You too, Mr. Bailey. Say, you've forgotten something, haven't you? Horace, I've forgotten things all my life. Get a wiggle on, boy. But, Mr. Bailey, where's the money? Uh, What's that? You want to make a deposit? Well, certainly I want Well, it's customary to bring the money with you. It's gone. Where'd I put it? Where'd I put that money? A terrible thing, Clarence, terrible. Uncle Billy couldn't find the money because the envelope with the $8,000 was folded up in that newspaper he gave to old man Potter. I just don't know what happened to it, George. I just don't know. $8,000. Uncle Billy, the bank examiner's here, and it's not our money. It belongs to the depositors. George, what, what are we going to do? We've traced every step I took. We can't stand here in the street. Are you sure you didn't put that envelope in your coat pocket? I, I, I think so. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, I'm no good to you, George. I'm no good. Now listen to me. Now listen to me. Think. Think, will you? Now try and think. I... Can't think anymore. I, I can't. Where's that money, you silly old fool? You know what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Now get out of my way. I'm going home. George, dear, what's wrong? You haven't said a word since you came home. Oh, well, that banging on that piano, does she have to just keep playing that same piece over and over and over and over again? What is it, dear? Another hectic day. Yeah. Yeah, another red-letter day for the baby. Dad, Murphy's got a brand-new car. You should see it. What's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? I'm sorry, Dad. I only... Run upstairs, Petey. See if Zuzu's all right. Okay, Mom. What do you mean? What to see if Zuzu's all right? What do you mean? Oh, she caught a little cold coming home from school. She didn't button up her coat. Well, what is it? What is it? What do you mean, just a cold? George, the doctor said it was nothing serious. The doctor? Was the doctor here? Well, I thought he'd better look at her. It's this old drafty house. It's... No wonder we don't all have pneumonia. We might as well be living in a refrigerator. Why did we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's happened? Everything's happened. You call this a happy family? Why do we have to have all these kids? Daddy, how do you spell Frankenstein? I don't know how you spell. You ask your mother. Where are you going? Upstairs to see Zuzu. Hello? Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. Who's that? Zuzu's school teacher. What? Oh, yes, the doctor says she'll be fine tomorrow. Here, give me that phone. George, please. Mrs. Welsh? Well, this is Mr. Bailey. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean, sending Zuzu home like that half-naked? Do you realize you'll probably end up with pneumonia just because of your stupidity? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best-dressed kids in town, but at least... Hello? Hello? Janie, will you stop playing that lousy piano? Cut it out. Stop it! George, for heaven's sake, what's wrong with you? I'm sorry. I'm Janie. I'm sorry, Mary. I, I I just got to get out of here. 
That's it, George. You're short $8,000 in your accounts, eh? Oh, please, Mr. Potter, I'll, I'll pay any sort of a bonus if you still want the building and loan. I, you say it I'll was let... lost. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I haven't done that yet. Harry's home. Oh, I come tomorrow. to me. What about your good friend Sam Wainwright? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. What kind of security would I have, George? What collateral? Yes, sir, I have some life insurance here. $15,000 policy. Hmm. What's your equity in it? $500. And you want $8,000? You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. Well, what are you but a warped, frustrated young man crawling on your hands and knees for help? Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so well? Ask them for help. I'll do anything, Mr. Potter, please. Please help me, Miss. My wife and kids... I'm calling the district attorney. $500. You know something, George? You're worth more dead than you are alive. Now get out of here. Get out! All the time, Potter had the $8,000 in his desk drawer. It's still there, Terrence. But where's George, sir? Where? Well, he went over to Martini's Cafe. He's had a couple of drinks, Clarence. He's just standing there, sort of in a day. Oh, God. Oh, God, dear Father in heaven, I, I'm, I'm not a praying man, but if, if you're up there... And, and you can hear me. Please show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I... Show me the way to God. Mr. Bailey, you all right? Don't drink anymore, Mr. Bailey. Please, you don't feel a good. Bailey? You say Bailey? Which Bailey? This gentleman is Mr. Bailey. George Bailey. George Bailey, huh? And the next time you talk to my wife like that, she'll get worse. It isn't enough. She slaves teaching your stupid kids how to read and write. You got to fall You get out of here, Mr. Welch. You hit my best friend. Get out. All right, I'm Mr. Bailey, you, you okay? Who's that? Mr. Welch, but don't worry. He don't come in this place no more. I'll get something for your face. It's bleeding. I'm all right. Please don't go away, Mr. Alone. Bailey. Please don't go away. Well, George left Martini's Cafe five minutes ago, Clarence. He's at the river now, on the bridge, looking at the water. Are you ready, Clarence? All ready, sir. Very well. Save George Bailey's life, and you get your wings. My wings. Oh, thank you, Joseph. George! George Bailey! Get away from that bridge! You hear me? George! George! In just a moment, we'll bring you Act Three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. The popular theory about beautiful blondes is that they're content to be merely decorative. Our lovely guest tonight, Miss Susan Blanchard, completely disproves that idea. Besides being a hard-working fox starlet, Susan, I understand you're a wonderful cook. I really love housekeeping, Mr. Keeley. But most of all, I enjoy the training I get at the studio. It's work. But it's fun, too. You're an Easterner, aren't you, Susan? Yes, a native New Yorker. I thought so. It was the Broadway theater that inspired me to think of show business as a career. Well, that's interesting. I used to save my allowance and go to every play I could. One of my favorite actresses was Jane Wyatt. Uh-huh. Imagine, Mr. Keeley, what a thrill it was for me to meet her right here in Hollywood. Jane Wyatt's latest picture, Boomerang, was made in the East, I understand. Mm-hmm, yes. But she and Dana Andrews, who stars in Boomerang with her... We're in Hollywood to see a studio showing of the picture. Oh, I see. Jane Wyatt is my ideal of a stage and screen star. So talented and so lovely to look at. 
just as lovely in real life, too. She is indeed. It wasn't long before I discovered that she's as keen about Lux toilet soap for beauty care as I am. You know, I'm a Lux girl, too. We're glad to hear you say that, Miss Blanchard, because that's a very beautiful Lux complexion I see before me. Just right for blue eyes and ash blonde hair. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. Any girl in pictures is delighted to find out about Lux toilet soap as a beauty care. Active lather facials are so quick and easy, and they really make a difference in your skin. Thousands of busy, attractive women have discovered that, Miss Blanchard. Daily Lux soap complexion care does make skin lovelier. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the choice of nine out of ten screen stars. Lux toilet soap is all around beauty care for me. I use it as a bath soap, too. It has such delightful perfume, leaves a lovely fragrance on the skin. Thank you, Miss Susan Blanchard. I hope our audience will be seeing that lovely Lux complexion of yours in a screen close-up one of these days. Now, back to our producer, William Keeley. Act three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Numb with despair, convinced, as Mr. Potter said, that he's worth more dead than alive, George Bailey stands on a bridge, staring at the dark and frigid waters below. Suddenly, there's a splash. No, that's not George. It's Clarence, the apprentice angel. And there goes George in after him. Hmm. It's a few minutes later now, and in the bridgekeeper shack, George and Clarence are drying off. You both sure you're all right? You, you want a doctor? No, I'm all right. Oh, I'm fine. That's underwear. I didn't have time to get anything more stylish. My wife gave me this on my last birthday. I passed away in a... You... You what, mister? Hmm... I see Tom Sawyer is drying out, too. Who? My book. I left in such a hurry, I brought Tom Sawyer with me. Hey, how'd you happen to fall in? Oh, I jumped in. I jumped in to save you. Jumped in to save me? Well, I... I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Hey, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. <laughs> where do you come from? Heaven. Oh, that's very fine. Very your, fine. your lip's bleeding. Yeah, yeah, I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer. <laughs> oh, no, George, I'm the answer to your prayer. Hey, how, how'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. Well, who are you supposed to be, anyway? Clarence Oddbody, A.S. 2. Clarence Oddbody. What's the, what's the AS2 for? Angel, second class. Hey, I'm getting out of here. You may not need a doctor, but I do. Here you are, my good man. Hey, look here. Why do you want to save me? Because I'm your guardian angel, George. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Well, you look like about the kind of an angel I'd get. What, <laughs> what, uh, what happened to your wings? Well, I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. Oh, I see. But you can help me earn them, George, by letting me help you. Oh, uh, don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? Oh, no, no. We, we don't use money in heaven. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting. Oh, I see. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. <laughs> oh, chat, chat, chat. Of I found it out a little late. You know, I'm worth more dead than alive. You mustn't talk like that. Joseph will never give me my wings if you keep feeling that way. You just don't realize what you've done for your folks. 
Why, if it hadn't been for yes, you... Yes, if it hadn't been time... for me, everybody would be better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. Oh, this is not going to be easy. I'd all be better off if I hadn't been born. What did you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. George, that's wonderful. It's wonderful? What? The idea you just gave me. Well, you got your wish. You've never been born. I've never been born? Exactly. No worries, no $8,000 to get, nothing. You simply don't exist. All right, all right, okay, all right. George, I can do things, strange things. I can show you the world, George, the way it would be if you hadn't been born. Hey, wait, hey, wait a minute, this ear of mine. Hey, say something else in that bad ear. You don't have a bad ear anymore. Oh, I don't think you're concentrating. Oh. Don't you see? You're not the George Bailey you think you are. You're well, uh... You're nobody. That's a doggondest thing I ever saw, that, that ear. Your lips stop bleeding, too. Yeah. Yeah, hey, hey what's, what's happening around here? What is this, anyway? I need a drink, that's what I need. What, what about you, Angel? You want a drink? Well, I, I don't quite know. Come on, I... come on, we'll go as soon as our clothes are dry. Our clothes are dry, George. Hey, this, so they are, that's funny. Well, look... Let's get dressed, and we'll stroll over to Martini's, and then... Uh, oh, excuse me. I mean, I'll stroll. You fly. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't have my You don't wings. have your wings yet. No. That's right. I forgot that again. A couple of drinks, and we'll both fly. What'll you have, fellas? Hey, where's the boss? Where's Martini? Look, wise guy, I'm the boss, see? Okay, well, double scotch, quick, will you? What's yours? You know what? I just love some mulled wine. Huh? Heavy on the cinnamon and light on the cloves. Off with you, my lad, and lively now. Now, cut it out. Oh, come on, you. Just give him the same as I ordered. He's okay. Ah, uh, two double scut. What about this place? It's all changed. All of Bedford Falls has changed. You're having your wish, George. You've never been born. Oh, there'll be lots of things you've never seen before. <laughs> oh, good. Somebody just made it. Made what? Every time a bell rings, it means some angel's got his wings. What'd you say? Uh, look, uh, Clarence, I don't think you better talk about angels around here. Yeah. Don't they believe in angels? Oh, yeah, they believe in them, but you know, it's just a little well, then thing. Then why should people be surprised when they see one? Uh, don't mind him, bartender. He's just a little fellow. He just never grew up. And how old are you anyway, Clarence? Well, next May, I'll be 293. That does it. A couple of pixies, huh? Go on, get you. Hear me, get. Hey, where's Martini? Will you Stop asking about Martini. He ain't here and he... Hey, you. Rami, didn't I tell you never to come panhandling around here? George, look. Hey, it's Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. Listen, Mr. Gower, don't you know me? This is George Bailey. You... You buy me a drink, mister? Just one drink, will you, mister? Pinky! Yeah, Nick. Throw the rummy out. Oh, no, no, please. Hey, bartender, that's, that's Mr. Gower, the druggist. That rumhead spent 20 years in jail for poisoning some kid. If you knew him, you must be a jailbird yourself. Pinky, here's two more. Get him out of here. Well, get up, George. Good thing he threw us in the snowbank, huh? Now, where's, where's Mr. Gower? Mr. Gower doesn't know you, George. You see, you weren't there to stop him from putting poison into that prescription. What do you mean I wasn't there? Look, 
Look, tell me, what are you? Are you a hypnotist? George. Look, well, why am I seeing all these strange things here? Don't you understand? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, then who am I? Nobody. You have no identity. Well, what do you mean, I have no identity? No I... papers, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. Zuzu's bell. What? Zuzu's bell. I bought my little girl a bell to hang on the Christmas tree, and I forgot to give it to her. I've got it in my... I... It's gone. Gone too, everything's gone. But you've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like if you'd never been born. You're crazy. You're crazy as a bedbug, and you're driving me crazy, too. Now look, I'm going home to my wife and family. Do you understand that? And I'm going home alone. Better not leave him alone, Clarence. Keep following him. Joseph, oh, I'll stay near him, sir. Poor George. He's seeing Main Street now the way it'd be if he hadn't lived. The thing that's really shocked him, sir, is the building and loan office. Know what's there now? Pawn shop. What's he doing? Can you see? He's talking to Ernie Bishop, the taxi driver. He wants to go home. You better tag along, Clarence. Oh, I will, sir. I will. Come on, step on it, will you, Ernie? Get me home. I'm off my nut. Where do you live, buddy? Oh, now, doggone it, Ernie. Don't you start pulling that stuff on me. 323 Sycamore. 323 Sycamore. Yeah, hurry up. Zuzu's sick. Okay, buddy. Hey, look, Ernie, I, I don't know what's happening. I'm going crazy or something. I got some bad liquor. I... Now, look, tell me this now. You're Ernie Bishop, right? And you live with your wife and kid down... Have you on... seen my wife? What do you mean? I've seen your wife. I've been in your house a hundred times. What do you... We, we built it for you, look, didn't we? Bud. My wife took the kid and ran away five years ago, and I ain't never seen you before in my life, see? Okay, Ernie, okay, okay, just step on it. Get me home. Mary! Mary, where are you? Janie, Petey, Zuzu! Zuzu, where are you? This is just an old abandoned house, George. You have no wife. No children. Where are they? What have you done with them? Hey, I'll break that fancy, I told you. All right, up with your hands. Oh, Bert, Bert the cop. Thank heaven you're here. Now, look, why don't you be a good fella and I'll take you to a doctor. Bert, now, Bert, listen to me. What's the matter with you guys? Now, listen, it's that fellow there. He says he's an angel. He tried to hypnotize me. I hate to use my nightstick, but I guess I... Ow! Uh, run, George, run. He can't hit you while I'm Ow! biting him. George, run. My teeth aren't what they used to be. Joseph, help. Joseph, Joseph. Where'd they go, Arnie? Where'd they go? I, I, I don't know. They just disappeared. Parents. Oh, Joseph, I hope you don't mind my calling on you like I did. It was very irregular, Clarence. You're by yourself again. Where's George? He's at his mother's house, sir. Well, if George hasn't been born, he has no mother. Oh, he's being very stubborn, sir. He'll just have to find these things out for himself. But his mother, that's a terribly bitter blow to a man, his old mother not knowing him. You mean I shouldn't have let him... I mean you better find him right away. Oh, and stop fighting policemen, Clarence. I'm here again, George. My mother, my own mother didn't know me. If only Harry were here. My brother were only back from Washington. Your brother fell through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. Well, that's a lie. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. 
Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. Don't you see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence. Yes? Where's Mary? Please, where's my wife? I, uh, I'm not supposed to tell. Tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? I'll choke it out of you if I have to. Where's my wife? The library. She works there. She's just about to lock up for the night. So I, uh... George! George! Come back! Oh, there must be some easier way for me to get my wings. Mary. Mary. I'm sorry. The library's closed. Mary, it's George. Don't you know me? No, I don't know you. Let me go. Mary, please, don't do this to me. Mary, please, help me. Help me. Where, where are our kids? Mary, I need you, Mary. Oh, get please. away from me. Help! Help! Help me. help me, Mary. I'm George. Mary! <laughs> Oh, where is he, Joseph? Where's George? I'm afraid I've lost him, sir. You knew you shouldn't have let him try to see Mary. Now they're after him, a mob. They think he was trying to hurt her. Joseph, I won't even get one wing, will I? You have one more chance, Clarence. Get over to the bridge by the river. I think George has seen just about enough. But, but the mob... Oh, don't worry. They've lost him, too. Now hurry up. Oh, thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Clarence. Clarence! Clarence, where are you? I'm here, George. Help me, Clarence. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Only get me back to my wife and kids, please. I want to live again. Oh, thank you, George. Thank you, boy. I want to live again, please. Oh, God, please let me live again. George? Is that you down there, George? Now get out of here, Bert. Get out of here. You come in any closer, I'll, I'll let you have it. What the hell are you yelling for, George? Come on, George. George, Bert, Bert, do you know me? No, yeah, I've been looking all over town for you. Where you been? Hey, Bert, Bert, I'm alive again, Bert. You sure you're all right? Hey, your mouth's bleeding. It is. Hey, my mouth's bleeding. Bert, look, look at the blood come out of there, would you? Huh? And where's Zuzu's Christmas bell, Bert? I had it right in my pocket. Here it is. Hey, it's in my pocket. What do you know about it? Hey, Merry Christmas, Bert. Well, Merry Christmas. Get in the car. I'll drive you home. You will, Bert? We'll do that. I turn the siren wide open, huh? Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. Hey, Merry Christmas, old building alone. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. Yippee! Come on. Hey, Bert, come on, come on in with me, huh? What are the, these people, these reporters? Hey, oh, oh, Merry Christmas, reporters. Hey, Mr. Bank Examiner, Merry Mr. Christmas. Mr. Bailey, there's a deficit. I know, $8,000, I'll bet, huh? George, I've, I've got a little paper here. I'm oh, sorry. I, but... I bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't that wonderful? Merry Christmas. Hey, where's Mary, you know? Uh, look at this wonderful old drafty house. Shouldn't it wonderful? Have you seen my wife? Where's Mary? Mary! Hey, kid, Janie, Petey! Hey, oh, I could eat you up. Where's your mother? She went looking for you, Daddy, with Uncle Billy. Oh, yeah. Daddy? Zuzu, my little ginger snap. How do you feel, huh? Fine, Daddy. Not a snitch of temperature. Not a snitch of temperature. Hallelujah! George! George, darling! It's Mommy! Mommy's home! Mary! 
George, where have you been? Oh, Mary, George, oh, Mary, George, now, look, George. just let me touch you. Oh, you're real, Mary. Oh, you've no idea what happened uh, to me. You've no idea what's happened either. They're on their way here. Who? Who's on their way? Oh, the police department? I don't... Uh, the FBI, the National Guard? I'm alive again, Mary. Oh, listen, Mary, I'm alive again. Oh, yes, darling, yes. Now, now, close your eyes and, and come on downstairs. Oh, oh. What is it? Can't open my eyes yet, Mary? What's going on here? Now, now, keep your eyes closed. Now, I'll just walk you over here by the Christmas tree and... Well, the people I hear, lots of people. What, what is it? Lots of people. Just one minute now. We're all ready, Uncle Billy. Come in, everybody. George, look. Just look. Uncle Billy. Money, George. A laundry basket filled with money. Money for you. Mary did it, George. Mary. I don't understand. What money? What... People heard you in trouble, darling. These people, your friends, they've collected this money for you. The $8,000. Charlie. Hey, there's Mar- there's Martini. Uh, Mr. Gower. Hey, how are you, Mr. Gower? Mrs. Thompson, Ed, Tom, everybody. Huh? None of us would have a roof over our heads if it wasn't for you, George. Oh, Garth, this is wonderful. Hey, Mary, look. Look who's coming in. Mother. Hi, Mother. Hey, and Harry. Got Mary's telegram, George. I flew in as fast as hey, I could. Hey, everybody, a toast. How about a toast? Oh, good idea, Ernie. A toast to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Lord, there's something written in it. Dear George, remember no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings, love, Clarence. Clarence? Yeah, he's a very dear friend of mine. Daddy, this is Welsh. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right, Zuzu. That's right. That's right. Had a boy, Clarence. Had a boy, Clarence. Happy landing. It's a wonderful life so long as we can have such fine performances as we enjoyed tonight from Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Jimmy, I'd like to thank whatever guardian angel whisked you back from Texas for our show this evening. Well, that guardian angel was an airline's wing, uh, Bill. (laughs) You were in Texas for the premiere of this picture, weren't you, Jimmy? Yeah, Frank Capra and I went down for five openings as many nights. Pretty good All down there in Texas, Texas yeah. Jimmy? Yeah, every one of them. There are five premieres over Texas. You know, it's a pretty big state. It takes that many to do <laughs> Jimmy, I'm sure your fans were proud to read that you received an honorary degree from Princeton just the other week. Yes, how about that, Jimmy? Do we call you professor now? No, 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 no. It's just an M.A. Oh, Master of Arts? Well, I don't, it might have been. I don't know. It might be for murdering architecture. That's what I studied at <laughs> Princeton. Well, you know, Donna has an honorary degree to her credit, too. L-L-C. What's that, Bill? L-L-C? Well, you can see for yourself. A lovely Lux complexion. Well, thank you, Bill. Or rather, thank Lux Toilet Soap. It's a wonderful complexion care. I use it faithfully. With wonderful results, I see. Uh, what's happening next Monday night on Lux, Bill? 
Next week, we have another of the season's most successful films. It's 20th Century Fox's thrilling screen hit, Leave Her to Heaven, with lovely Jean Tierney, and a star who appears in answer to literally hundreds of requests, Cornell Wilde. Best, based on the best-selling novel of the same name, Leave Her to Heaven is the strange, dramatic story of a woman whose twisted mind and fiendish jealousy drive her to any lengths to hold the man she loves. Now that ought to make great listening, Bill. I wouldn't miss it for anything. Good night. night. Good, Good night, night, and thanks a million. <laughs> Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde in Lever to Heaven. This is William Keeley saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. Here's a sure way to save on your meat and grocery bills. Turn in used patch, kitchen fats to your butcher and receive a generous price for every pound. The worldwide supply of fats is still desperately short, and every drop you save helps in the making of soap, refrigerators, and other needed items. So save and turn in your used kitchen fats. Donna Reed appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Beginning or the End, starring Brian Donlevy and Robert Walker. James Stewart will soon be seen in the Robert Riskin production for RKO, Magic Town. Victor Moore will soon be seen in Roy Del Ruth's production, It Happened on Fifth Avenue. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This program is broadcast to our men and women overseas through cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service. And this is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear... Leave her to heaven with Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde. Surprise. When you bake and fry, Surprise. or your cake and pie, Surprise. it's your shortening by Reliance Fry. Want fried foods crisp, golden, better tasting? Try Spry, the pure vegetable shortening that gives you delicious, better tasting fried foods. So digestible, too, the Spry way. Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y. Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y. Be sure to listen in again next Monday night to hear the Lux Radio Theater presentation of Lieber to Heaven. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. of Campbell's Soups present the Campbell Playhouse, Orson Welles, producer. Good evening, listeners. This is Ernest Chappell speaking. Tonight, Orson Welles and the Campbell Playhouse observe a Campbell tradition of long-standing. They bring you Charles Dickens' well-loved tale of Yuletide, A Christmas Carol. Four years ago, the makers of Campbell's soups went shopping for a Christmas present to give to all their friends. They found it in this story, Charles Dickens' embodiment of the very spirit of Christmas. And they chose well. 
because throughout the country today, in thousands of homes, it has become an important and beloved Christmas custom to listen to this story. Tonight, this fourth annual presentation is brought to you with a sincere wish that your Christmas may be a happy one and with the hope that the retelling of A Christmas Carol may help to make it so. And it is more than that, for with this Christmas present to you, Campbell say thank you for your purchases of Campbell's soup throughout the months gone by. At the Christmas season, this becomes especially manifest. Everywhere, grocers see their shelves of Campbell's soups dwindle more rapidly now than at any other time of the year. It used to be thought that the demand increased in preparation for the Christmas feast, but really it isn't that alone. Women like to have plenty of good soups on hand all through the holidays so that they can serve piping hot, nourishing platefuls at any family mealtime. The youngsters are on the go all day long, making the most of the Christmas vacation, and soup can be ready for them in a jiffy. There's health and happiness in good hot soup. Your grocer has Campbell soups, 21 delicious kinds, awaiting your selection. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was one of the house of the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Since the days of Caesar Augustus, all people have celebrated by joy the great joy which shall be to all people. For unto us was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And on this day, at least in the calendar of our year, we affirm the glory of our God by the laughter of our children. Every nation, according to its character and its taste, by some gift of gaiety, has enriched the tradition of this, our solemnest festival. And because America is what it is, we are the fortunate heirs of the accumulated customs of almost 2,000 years of keeping Christmas. The best songs that have been sung are sung by us. The best games that have been played 
We play and the best stories ever told are ours to tell. For storytelling has persisted as a Christmas ritual in spite of the printing press. A ceremony as hilarious and as serious as hanging the stocking, dressing the tree and kissing under the mistletoe. And because Christmas is first of all for children, Christmas stories are fairy stories first of all. It is mildly surprising that the best of them all, which we're telling again for you tonight, is for everybody and turns out to be a ghost story. I have endeavored, writes its author on its title page, I have endeavored in this ghostly little story to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly, and no one wish to lay it. It is signed, your faithful friend and servant, Charles Dickens. Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead. Of course he did. Scrooge and Marley were partners. I don't know how many years. Oh, he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, secret and self-contained. Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was a cold, bleak, biting evening, foggy with all, and he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts and stamping their feet upon the pavement to warm them. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open, but he might keep his eyes upon the clerk, Bob Cratchit, who in a cold and dismal little cell beyond worked at his ledgers. Twenty-nine, nine and carry two. Thirteen, seventeen, seven and carry one. And... Close the door, Cratchit! Shut out that infernal noise! Yes, Mr. Scrooge. Confound their impudence. Okay, Cratchit. Yes, Mr. Scrooge. You ought to stop at Father Guild on your way home tonight and collect that 17 shillings and sixpence he owed me since Michaelmas and tell him I shall have the constable over here if he doesn't pay it once. Well, sir, Mr. Father Guild's wife is... What do I care about his wife? I want my 17 and six. I I just thought it being Christmas... Christmas, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Bob. Oh, Mr. Fred. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Uncle. Merry Christmas, Uncle. (laughs) Bah. Humbug? Christmas a humbug, Uncle? <laughs> I'm sure you don't mean that. I do. Merry Christmas. What right of you to be merry? What season of you to be merry? You're poor enough. Well, come then, Uncle. What right of you to be dismal? You're rich enough. Ah, humbug. Don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be? I live in such a world of fools. What's Christmas to you but a time for paying bills without money? <laughs> merry Christmas. A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stick of his own holly through his heart. Uncle. Nephew, keep Christmas in your own way. Let me keep it in mine. Keep it? 
But you don't keep it. Hey, let me leave it alone, then. What do you want, nephew? Christmas gift, I have no doubt. I came to wish you a Merry Christmas, Uncle. A Merry Christmas. Much good may Christmas do you. Much good has it ever done you. <laughs> there are many things from which I've derived good, by which I have not profited, I dare say, Uncle. Christmas among the rest. But I have always thought of Christmas time as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. Therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good and will do me good. And I say... God bless it. God bless Christmas. Hello! Let me hear another sound from you out there, Bob Cratchit. You keep your Christmas by losing your situation. Uh, that's just you, nephew. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Talking up nonsense. <laughs> don't be angry, Uncle. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why can't we be friends? Good afternoon. Well, so you feel that way. Well, I've tried. Uh... Merry Christmas to you, Uncle. Good afternoon. And uh, Happy New Year, too. Humbug, humbug. Merry Christmas to you, Bob, and the missus. And the tiny Tim. Thank you, Mr. Fred. Same to you, sir. Good day, sir. Good day, Bob. Merry Christmas, Uncle Ebenezer. Squaddle nonsense. Bummery. Talking of Christmas, not a... Not a sixpence to jingle against another in his trousers' pocket. Are you there, Bob Cratchit? Yes, You're sir. There. Yes, what sir. are you doing in there? Oh, I was only putting a bit more coal on the fire, Mr. Scrooge, seeing it's so cold in here, sir. You put that coal back in the scuttle. Yes, sir. Fire. Fire, indeed. I can tell you, you use coal at that rate, you and I will be soon part in company, Bob Cratchit. You understand that? Many a young fellow like your situation, you know. I'm sorry, sir. My fingers were getting a little stiff with the cold. Then put on your mittens. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. There's someone at the door. See who it is. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas, sir. Merry Christmas. Yes, sir. This is the firm of Scrooge and Marley. Yes, sir. I should like to see the head of the firm, if I may. Oh, very good, sir. Step this way, please. Yeah, what is it? A gentleman to see you, Mr. Scrooge. Huh? Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Well, Marley's been dead these seven years tonight. Oh. And I'm Scrooge, though I doubt that'll be any pleasure to you, sir. Oh, uh, oh, I'm sure it will. Now, Mr. Scrooge, at this season of the year, it's only fitting that we who are more fortunate should raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. You may not believe it, sir, but many thousands are now in want of common necessities. And hundreds of thousands are in want of comfort, sir. Are there no prisons? There are plenty of prisons, sir. And the workhouses, they're still in operation, I trust. I wish I could say they are not, but they are, sir. The treadmill and the poor law and full vigor, then? Both very busy, sir. I'm very glad to hear that. I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. Now, sir, what do you want with me? Well, Mr. Scrooge, a few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund for the poor and destitute. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous, sir? I wish to be let alone. I don't make merry at Christmas time, and I can't afford to help make idle people merry. I help to support the establishment and take care of the poor. They cost enough that those who are badly off go there. Well, many can't go there, sir, and many would rather die. And let them do so and decrease the surplus population. Besides, how do I know that's true? You might know it someday, Mr. Scrooge. Not my business. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, sir. Cratchit, show this gentleman out. Cratchit! Y- yes, sir. This way, sir, please. Oh, excuse me, sir. I couldn't help overhearing. I should like to contribute weapons. It's all I can afford. But if there are others in worse situation than I... You're a generous fellow. I wish I might say the same of your employer. Good afternoon, sir. Good day. Merry Christmas. Good afternoon, sir. And a Merry Christmas. 15, 24, 31, 1 and carry 3... 17, 22, 33, 3, and carry 3, 4, 7, 8, Cratchit! 12, 15, 
Jean. Cratchit! Oh, yes, sir. Cratchit. Too late to have it go to Father Gills. He'll be closed up for Christmas like these other fools. We as well close up this place now. Yes, sir. It is getting a little dark. Mm. Hard to see the figures. I suppose you want the entire day to mark. That's it. If quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, and it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown of your wages for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. Well, sir... And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, Yeah, once a year. Once a year, indeed. A fine excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. I suppose you must have the whole day. I'll see that you're here all the earlier the next morning, you understand? Oh, I I will, sir. I will. Well, good night, sir. Good night, and... Good night. Merry Christmas, Mr. Scrooge. Bah! The office was closed to a twinkling, and Bob Cratchit, with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no great coat, went down a slide on Cornhill 20 times in honor of its being Christmas Eve, and then ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play with his family at Blind Man's Buff. Scrooge, on the other hand, took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the newspapers, and spent the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went home to his dismal house. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, had to grope with his hands. The fog and frost hung about the black old gateway of the house. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. Before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see that all was right. Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room, all as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa. Small fire in the grate of his bedroom, spoon and basin ready, and a little saucepan of gruel upon the hob. Nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet. Closed his door and locked himself in. Double locked himself in. Then took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. It was a very low fire indeed, nothing on such a bitter night, not even enough to kindle a glow of light in the cheerless room. Scrooge stretched his numb fingers over the wretched fire. Then he saw something that made... that made him draw them back. Slowly the meager embers dissolved before his astonished eyes dissolved into a face, a ghostly face, but one that Scrooge recognized as the face of Marley. Marley, his partner, dead these seven years. It was not angry or ferocious, but looked at Scrooge as Marley used to look, with ghostly spectacles turned up on its ghostly forehead. The hairs were curiously stirred, like flames blown from a chimney draft. And through the death-cold eyes, Scrooge saw the buttons on the back of his coat. <laughs> Humbug. 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 Scrooge got up and walked away from the fire. As he turned, his glance happened to rest upon a bell. A disused bell that hung in the corner of the room was with great astonishment and with a strange inexplicable dread 
that as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing slowly at first. face he had seen in the fire, Marley's face, and Marley, Marley's body coming straight at him through the door, a body pale as the bluish smoke that comes out of a chimney on a cold day, a body so transparent that Scrooge, looking through his waistcoat, could see his watch in his waistcoat pocket. The chain he drew was clasped about his middle, it was long, and wound about him like a tail, and it was made of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, and heavy purses wrought in steel. Even now, Scrooge would not believe his eyes. The ghost advanced towards him. Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. Marley, what do you want with me? Much. Who, who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? You're, you're particular for a ghost. In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Jacob Marley, but you're dead. You died seven years ago this very night. You do not believe in me, then? I, I do not. Why do you doubt your senses? Well, because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. You you may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There may be more gravy than grave about you, whatever you are. Uh, humbug, I tell you. Uh, humbug. At this, the spirit, taking the bandage off from it round its head, as if it were too warm to wear indoors, its lower jaw dropped upon its breast. Man uh-huh. of the worldly mind, do you believe in me now? I, I, I do, Jacob, I do. Why do you walk the earth? Why do you come to me, Jacob? It is required of every man with the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide to witness what it cannot share but might have shared on earth and turn to heaven. Tell me, Jacob, well, what is that chain you wear around you? I wear the chain I forged in life. Cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, purses... I made it link by link by my own free will. Is its pattern strange to you, Ebenezer? Yours was as heavy and as long as this seven years ago. And you've labored on it since, Ebenezer. Jacob, old Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give, Ebenezer. No rest, no peace. Incessant torture of remorse. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business. Mankind was my business. Charity, mercy, benevolence. They were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Jacob. Hear me, Ebenezer Scrooge. My time is nearly gone. I, I will, I will, Jacob, but don't be hard on me. Speak to me. Jacob, but 
Please don't be flowery. I'm here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. Oh, you were always a good friend to me, Jacob. Thank you. And go on, go on, Jacob. Listen to me, Ebenezer. You will be haunted by three spirits. I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, Ebenezer Scrooge, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night. Look to see me no more. And look that for your own sake you remember what has passed between us. Marley! Jacob Marley! lying on his bed fully dressed. When suddenly the curtains of his bed were drawn aside and Scrooge found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them, as close to it as I am now to you, and I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age. And yet the face had not a wrinkle in it. And the tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were long and muscular. The hands the same. As if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its dress was of the purest white, trimmed with summer flowers. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head... there sprang a clear jet of light by which all this was visible, and which was doubtless the occasion of its using, in its duller moments, a great extinguisher for a cap, which it now held under its arm. Ebenezer Scrooge! Ebenezer Scrooge! Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No. Your past. What business brings you here? What do you want of me? Your welfare. Ebenezer Scrooge, rise and walk with me. No. No, not the window. I'm mortal. I fall down. There but a touch of my hand. There upon your heart. And you shall be upheld in more than this. Come, follow me. Let us go. They stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. The city had entirely vanished. The darkness and the mist had vanished with it, for it was a clear, cold winter day with snow upon the ground. They walked along the road. Scrooge began to recognize every gate, every post, every tree, until a little market town appeared in the distance with its bridge, its church, and winding river. Some shaggy ponies now were seen trotting towards them with boys upon their backs or in sleighs. And all these boys were in great spirits and showed to each other that they were happy, shouting through the broad fields until they were so full of music that the crisp air laughed to hear it. And 
And there stood old Scrooge in his dressing gown and slippers and nightcap on the hill. And beside him, the spirit of Christmas passed. And now the spirit spoke again. Not all the boys and girls were singing on that Christmas day, were they, Ebenezer Scrooge? See the bleak building over there? That building? I was a boy there. Yeah, I went to school in that place. You recollect the way? I could walk it blindfold. Strange you have forgotten it for so many years. Come, let us go closer. Look through the window into this cold, barren room. What do you see, Ebenezer Scrooge? I, I see a boy. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, sitting alone, a book open before him. <laughs> yes, I see. I know that boy. I was lonely. I... Oh, poor boy. Your lip is trembling, Scrooge. And what's that on your cheek? It's nothing, nothing. I... I wish... It's too late now. What is the matter? Nothing, nothing. There were some boys singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should like to have given them something, that's all. That is all? Come, Ebenezer Scrooge. Let us see another Christmas. familiar. He was an older man, a man in the prime of his life. And he was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl. There were tears in her eyes. Very little, I know. Another idol has displaced me. And if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. Well, listen to me. There's nothing the world so hard on as poverty, and yet nothing it pretends to condemn so much as the pursuit of wealth. The world again. 
You fear the world too much, Ebenezer. Bill, have I changed toward you? When we were engaged, we were both poor. Was it better then? Now, was it better to be poor? Better at least to be happy. You're changed. You were another man then. I was a boy. Do you blame me because I've grown wiser? Have I ever tried to break our engagement? The word, no. Never. In what then? In a changed nature. In an altered spirit. In everything that made my love of any value in your sight. So, I release you from your promise. Bill. Bill. I love you still. Oh, at first it may cause you pain to lose me. A very brief pain. But soon it will be dim. Like a half-remembered dream. An unprofitable dream. And you'll be glad to be awake from such a dream. May you be happy in the life you have chosen, Ebenezer. For the love of him you once were. Spirit. Spirit, it is enough. Show me no more. These were shadows of the things that have been. That they are what they are. Do not blame me. No more, no more. One shadow more. Come. pinioned him in both his arms and forced him to observe what happened next. They were in a room, not very large or handsome, but full of comfort. All around them were the voices of children talking and laughing. And before the winter fire sat a beautiful young girl so like the last that Scrooge believed it was the same until he saw her, the girl he had been betrothed to, now a handsome middle-aged woman sitting with her husband at their own fireside. Do you see this man, Ebenezer Scrooge? This man might have been you. And that girl, that girl might have been your daughter, Ebenezer Scrooge. She might have called you father. She might have been a springtime in the haggard winter of your life. Spirit, let me go. Show me no more. Listen now while they speak, Ebenezer. Oh, I saw an old friend of yours today. Who was it? Yes. How can I? Oh, I know. Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window. It wasn't shuttered, and there was a candle inside, so I couldn't help seeing him. His partner lies at the point of death, I hear. And there Scrooge sat, all alone. Quite alone in the world, I do believe. Spirit! Spirit, reward me! Haunt me no more! Leave me! Take me back! Take me back! In his anguish, Scrooge began to struggle with the ghost of Christmas past. The lights in the crown of its head burned high and bright. Scrooge, in a last desperate effort, tore the extinguisher cap from its head and by a sudden action, pressed it down upon its head. And Scrooge was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by irresistible drowsiness. And further, of being in his own bedroom. He gave the cap a parting squeeze in which his hand relaxed and had barely time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. A stroke of one awakened him and sat him bolt upright in his bed.
pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Listening to the fourth annual presentation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, brought to you by the makers of Campbell's Soups. We return you now to the Campbell Playhouse and Orson Welles. On the stroke of one, Scrooge had awakened suddenly had sat him bolt upright in his own bed. He remembered the words of Marley's ghost and wondered from which direction the second specter would appear. He drew aside the curtains and established a sharp lookout all around the bed. At that moment, nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. Now, being prepared for almost anything, he was not by any means prepared for nothing, and consequently, when no shape appeared... He was taken with a violent fit of trembling. Five minutes. Ten minutes. A quarter of an hour went by. Yet nothing came. And all this time he sat upon the bed with his nightcap upon his head, the very core and center of a blaze of ruddy light which streamed upon it. Being only light, this was more alarming than a dozen ghosts. As he was powerless to make out what it meant, he began to think that the source of this ghostly light might be in the adjoining room from whence, on further tracing, it seemed to shine. He got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. It was his own sitting room, there was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove from every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney as had never been known in Scrooge's time or for many and many a winter season gone. Heaped upon the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, geese, game, poultry, great joints of meat sucking pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. And in easy state upon this couch, there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape, not unlike Plenty's horn, and held it up high up to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the door. Come in, come in, Ebenezer Scrooge. You know me better, man. Yeah. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. You've never seen the like of me before. Spirit. Spirit, conduct me where you will. I went forth last time on compulsion and learned a lesson which is working now. If tonight you have anything to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe, Ebenezer Scrooge. Touch my robe. So did the fire. The ruddy glow, the hour of night, vanished. 
sunlight brushed them as they streamed through the clear morning air. Second Spectre flew at a more leisurely speed, and Scrooge had time to observe people below him shoveling snow on the city roofs, calling out to one another from the parapets, and now and then pelting each other with snowballs. In the streets below them, the poulterers' shops were still half open, and the fruiterers were radiant in their holiday glory. Scrooge and his ghostly guide circled the tall spires as the people called good people all to church and chapel. Below them lay Camden Town with its squalid streets of ugly frame houses. Of all these dwellings, the ghosts selected the humblest for their visit. Scrooge, by now past all surprise, recognized Bob Cratchit's wife, dressed in a twice-turned gown but brave in ribbons, busily laying the table. Assisting her was Belinda Cratchit, second of her daughters, also brave in ribbons, while Master Peter Cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes. And now two smaller Cratchits, boy and girl, came tearing in, screaming that outside the baker's they had smelled a goose and known it for their own, and now basking in luxurious thoughts of sage and onions. And three more young Cratchits danced about the table. Then once more, the door opened. Alive, Martha, my dear. How late you are. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, Mother. Merry Christmas. How late you are, Martha. Oh, we had a deal of work to finish up last night, and we had to clear away this morning. Well, never mind so long as you're here now. Sit you down before the fire and have a warm. Lord bless you. But where's Father? He's been to church with Tiny Tim. They'll be along directly. How is Tiny Tim, Mother? Any better at all? Sometimes I think he is, and... Sometimes, sometimes I think, oh, dear God, if anything should happen to Tiny Tim, if Tiny Tim should die. Mother, you mustn't even think of such a thing. Here they come. Oh, Tiny Tim. Merry Christmas, Father, and Tim. Merry Christmas, Martha. (laughs) And there was Bob Cratchit, with at least three feet of comforty, exclusive of the fringe, hanging down before him in his threadbare clothes, darned up and brushed, to look seasonable, and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Poor Tiny Tim. He carried a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. How did little Tim behave in church, Bob? Oh, I like church, Mother. Oh, they sang the nicest hymns, and the people were so kind to me. It was such fun riding home on Daddy's shoulder. He behaved as good as gold and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped people saw him in church because he was lame. And it might be pleasant for them to remember on Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Tim, you darling. Oh, yes, children already. Come take your places and wait your turn. There's plenty of stuffing and dressing and plum pudding for all of you. Now, Marty, you take care of Tiny Tim. That's right. And see that he eats plenty. He must get strong and well. Now, shall we say grace? Yes, Bob. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for the daily bread which in thy mercy thou dost give to us. Bless us this Christmas day. Keep us all together. 
so that for many years to come we may unite here to do thy will and praise thy name. Amen. Amen. And now, my dears, with such a dinner, a toast. A Merry Christmas to us all, and God bless us. God bless us. God bless us, everyone. And now to Mr. Scrooge. I'll give you a toast to Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed. Who pays you all of 15 shillings a week? I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast on, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, the children, Christmas Day. Well, it should be Christmas Day, I'm sure. And which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge? You know he is, Bob. Nobody knows it better than you, poor fellow. My dear, Christmas Day. Well, I'll drink his health for your sake and the days, not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. And I say God bless him too, Mother. And everyone. There was nothing of high mark in all this. They were not a handsome family, these Cratchits. They were not well-dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty and had known, very likely, the inside of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time. And when at last they faded, Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim until the last. Spirit! Spirit! Tell me if... Tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner carefully preserved. No, 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 kind spirit. Say he will be spared. Say he will live. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future... The child will die. Many calls Scrooge made that night with the ghost of Christmas present. Now he stood upon a bleak and desert moor where monstrous masses of rude stone were cast about as though it were the burial place of giants. Down in the west, the setting sun had left a streak of fiery red which glared upon the desolation for an instant like a sullen eye, then was lost in the thick gloom of darkest night. A light shone from the window of a hut. Passing through the wall of mud and stone, they found a cheerful company assembled around a glowing fire. An old, old man and woman with their children and their children's children, all decked out gaily in their holiday attire. This place, Ebenezer Scrooge, the miners live who labor in the bowels of the earth. Still, they know me. You hear? Spirit did not tarry here, but bade Scrooge hold his robe. And passing on above the moor, they sped on. Whither? Not to see. To see. To Scrooge's horror, looking back, he saw the last of the land. Below him were the waves breaking upon a frightful range of rocks. But built upon a dismal reef of sunken stones, some league or so from shore, there stood a solitary lighthouse. Great heaps of seaweed clung to its base, and storm birds, born of the wind, rose and fell 
about it like the waves they skim. Again, the ghost sped on above the dark and heaving sea. On and on until they lighted on a ship. They stood beside the helmsman at the wheel, the lookout in the bow, the men who had the watch. Dark, ghostly figures in their several stations. Um. Much they saw, and far they went. And many places they visited, but always with a happy end. The spirits stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful. On foreign lands, and they were close at home. By poverty, and it was rich. In almshouse, hospital, and jail, where vain man in his little brief authority had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out, he left his blessing. It was a long night, if it were only a night. And it was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered, in his outward form, the ghost grew older, clearly older. My life upon this globe is very brief, Ebenezer. It ends tonight. Tonight? Tonight at midnight. Hark, the hour Not yet. has come. Not yet. There are still more things I wish to learn. These you will learn from still another spirit. Still another spirit, Ebenezer. Scrooge looked about him, the ghost. It had vanished. And he found himself once more in his bed, in his dressing gown and his nightcap on his head. He heard the clock strike. And then he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley and lifting up his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom draped and hooded coming toward him like a mist along the ground. The spirit slowly, gravely, silently approached. In the very air through which it moved, it seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. I am the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Ebenezer Scrooge, I am about to show you the shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Ghost of the future, I fear you more than any specter I've seen. Lean on. Lean on. The night is waning fast. And it is precious time. Scrooge followed in the shadow of its dress, which bore him up, he thought, and carried him along. And suddenly, they were in a room which Scrooge seemed to remember having seen before where a woman and a child were. Oh, my son. My little son. Tiny Tim. I loved him so. Mother, dear. You mustn't. It's almost time for father to be home. Don't let him see you crying. Yes, mother. He's late tonight. 
He walks slower than he used to. And yet, I've known him to walk very fast indeed, with tiny Tim on his shoulder. So have I, Mother. But he was light to carry. And his father loved him so that it was no trouble. No trouble at all. Bob. Good evening, my dear. You're late, Bob. I'm sorry, my dear. I went... I went to the churchyard today. I wish you could have gone with me. It would have done your heart good to see how sweet and green a place it is. But you'll see it often. I promised him... I promised Tiny Tim we'd walk there on a Sunday. Oh, Bob. Bob. It's God's will, my dear. Oh, my son. My little son. Tiny Tim. I loved him so. Oh, Scrooge tried to break through the shade that held him to talk with Bob Cratchit, to speak some word of comfort, but the sleeve of the ghost of Christmas yet to come passed in front of him and shut the family from his view. And now they were in an obscure part of the town where Scrooge had never been before. The ways were foul and narrow, the shops and houses wretched, the people drunken, slipshod, ugly, the whole quarter reeked with crime, with filth and misery. Deep in this den of infamous resort, there was a low-browed, beetling pawn shop where iron, old rags and bottles were bought. And there was an old charwoman standing at the counter. Undo my bundle, Joe. I hope Scrooge didn't die of nothing catching, eh? Don't be afraid. I ain't so fond of his company that I'd take a chance at that. Ah, you may look through that shirt till your eyes ache and you won't find a hole in it. The best he had, and a fine one, too. He'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. What you call a wasting of it, Mrs. Gilbert? Putting it on him to be buried in. Somebody was fool enough to do it, but I took it off him again. If Calico ain't good enough for such a purpose, it ain't good enough for anything. It can't look uglier than he did in that one, the old Laura. <laughs> and here's his bed curtains. Small use he'll have for him where he's going. <laughs> That's the truest word, what is that? You ever spoke, Mrs. Zilber. <laughs> so this is the end of him, you see. He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us when he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> phantom spread its dark robe before him for a moment like a wing, and withdrawing it revealed another place, a churchyard walled in by houses, overrun by grass and weeds, choked up with too much burying, fat with repleted appetite. A worthy place. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to toward it, went, and following the finger, read upon the stone of the neglected grave... His own name. Ebenezer Scrooge. Spirit. Spirit, am I? Am I the man who lay dead upon that bed? The spirit pointed from the grave to him and back again, and the upper portion of its deep black garment was contracted for an instant in its folds. 
as if it had inclined its head. Ebenezer Scrooge. And then Scrooge saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrank, collapsed, and dwindled into a bedpost. Yes, and the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own to make amends in. Running to the window, he opened it. He put out his head. No fog, no mist, clear, bright, jovial, stirring, cold. Cold, piping for the blood to dance in. Golden sunlight, heavenly air, sweet, fresh air, merry bells. Oh, glorious, glorious. Oi, oi, what's the day? Hey, what's that, sir? What day is it, my fine fellow? Today? Why, it's Christmas Day. Christmas Day? Christmas Day, that I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. All in one night. I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. <laughs> merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, happy New Year. Happy New Year to all the world. <laughs> was early at his office. He went early for a reason. He could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late. That was the thing he'd set his heart upon, and he did it. Yes, he did. The clock struck nine. No Bob. Quarter past, no Bob. Scrooge sat with his door wide open that he might see him come in. At last he came. His hat was off before he opened the door. His comforter, too. He's on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen as if he were trying to overtake nine o'clock. Eight and seven at fifteen, carried one, twenty-four, carried two, thirty-one and five, thirty-six, four and seven. Hello? You, uh, Cratchit! Uh, yes, sir. Cratchit! Step this way, Cratchit, yes, if yes, you please. Sir. Yes, sir. Cratchit. What do you mean by coming in at this time of day? I'm very sorry, sir. I am behind my time. Here you are. Yes, I think you are. It's only once a year, Mr. Scrooge. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. And I'll tell you what, my friend. I'm not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. Therefore, and therefore, Bob Cratchit, I'm about to raise your salary. Are you... Are you quite yourself, sir? No! No, thank heaven, I'm not quite myself. Merry Christmas, Bob! <laughs> Merry Christmas, my good fellow. A merrier Christmas than I've given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and we'll see what we can do for Tiny Tim the rest of your family. <laughs> we'll discuss it this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop, Bob. Make up the fires, make them up, and buy another cool scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit! <laughs> And Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more, and to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. He had no further intercourse with spirits, but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever afterwards. And it was always said of him, but he knew how to keep Christmas well. 
if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us and of all of us. And so as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. have just heard the fourth annual presentation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, offered for your enjoyment by the makers of Campbell's Soups. And here is Orson Welles. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first year I've shared in this happy tradition of the Campbell Playhouse, and I'm only sorry that that, that very, very grand actor, Lionel Barrymore, was not able to come to New York this Christmas to be part of our broadcast tonight. We're depending upon him to be with us next year, as he's been in the past, and I'm looking forward to it. And now, a word about next week's show. Next Friday night, I shall have the great pleasure of welcoming as our guest star one of the most elusive stars in motion pictures, Miss Catherine Hepburn. Miss Hepburn, making her first radio appearance in more than four years, joins me in a dramatization of Ernest Hemingway's greatest novel, Farewell to Arms. Ladies and gentlemen... The night before, the night before Christmas, and all through the Campbell Playhouse, not a creature is stirring that doesn't wish you a Merry Christmas. This goes for all of us, for my sponsor, for myself, for all of us, from Johnny Dietz, who runs the machinery in the control room, to Miss Hess, who types the Campbell Playhouse scripts. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas from all of us to all of you. Merry Christmas. Benny Herman and his band of Merry Melodians wish you a Merry Christmas. Laura Nichols and her demon crew of sound technicians wish you a Merry Christmas. Orson Welles and his considerable aggregation of dramatic talent, including Hiram Sherman, who played Bob Cratchit, Ray Collins, who was the man who asked for arms, Frank Reddick, who was the ghost of Christmas yet to come, Eustace Wyatt, who was the ghost of Christmas present, Arthur Anderson, who was the ghost of Christmas past, Alf Shirley, who was Marley's ghost, Alice Frost, who was the charwoman, Brenda Forbes, who was Mrs. Cratchit, Joseph Cotton, who was nephew Fred, Anna Stafford, who was Belle, Kingsley Colton, who was Tiny Tim, and George Spelman, who was Mr. Peswick, all wish you a Merry Christmas. And finally, as Tiny Tim says... God bless us, everyone. Don't fail to listen in next Friday night when Orson Welles brings to the Campbell Playhouse Miss Catherine Hepburn in his own dramatization of Ernest Hemingway's great novel, A Farewell to Arms. This is Ernest Chappell wishing you all a very Merry Christmas on behalf of the makers of Campbell's Soups. the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Said the night wind to the little land Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little land Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? A star, a star Dancing in the night With a tail as big as a kite With a tail as big as a kite Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? Ringing through the sky, shepherd boy Do you hear what I hear? A song, a song, high above the tree, with a voice as big as the sea, with a voice as big as the sea. Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king, Do you know what I know? In your palace, warm, mighty king. Do you know what I know? A child, a child, shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Listen to what I say Pray for peace, people everywhere Listen to what I say The child, the child Sleeping in the night He will bring us goodness and light He will bring us goodness Gift 
to bring pa-rum-pum-pum-pum That's fit to give a king pa-rum-pum-pum-pum Rum-pum-pum-pum, rum-pum-pum-pum Shall I pray for you pa-rum-pum-pum-pum On my drum Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap that gives you a wonderful new kind of suds, presents... Our friend, Swan, with my friend, Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship when other friendships have been forgotten. Theirs will still be hot. Christmas Eve at 8224 West 73rd Street, New York City. And on the third floor in apartment 3B, all is serene and quiet, except for Irma Peterson, who is reading. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring. Oh, look, Jane, a mouse! <laughs> now, don't get excited, don't get excited. It's lost. It's probably looking for Professor Kapotkin's room. <laughs> oh, gee, Jane... I've never been so happy on Christmas Eve. And, and that's because I have such wonderful friends. You and Richard and Mrs. O'Reilly and Professor Kapotkin. And, of course, Al. Oh, by all means, Al. <laughs> of course, I can't really consider Al a friend because I'm going to marry him. <laughs> well, naturally. And, Jane, you don't know what it means to have a few good friends you can count on. Especially on Christmas Eve, when you'd, well, when you'd like to be with your family, but, but mine lives over 1,500 miles from here. You know, Irma, you never say much about your family. Oh, Jane, there isn't much to say. They're just an average family, just like me. <laughs> Perfectly normal people. No, for instance, there's, uh, well, there's Bertha Peterson, my younger sister. She's not as old as I am. 
<laughs> yeah, it figures. And there's my brother, Ernie Peterson. He's engaged uh, to be married, of course. Of course. Honey, <laughs> what, what about your parents? I miss them the most. They were just like a mother and father to me. <laughs> well, you know, that happens in most families, Emma. But, Keith, they're all in Minnesota, and I'm here, but I'm not lonesome because, because I'm surrounded by good friends, and, Jane, I, I really appreciate them. That's why I'm giving a Christmas Eve surprise party tonight for you, Richard, Professor Kropotkin, Miss O'Reilly, and Al. Tonight? Mm -hmm. Oh, Gee, Irma, honey, I don't know how to tell you, but you see... Uh, tell me what? Well, dear, you, you see... Uh, excuse me a minute, will you, honey? Hello? Oh, yeah, hello, Richard. What? Yes, yes, I know it's formal. No, I, I've never been to the Long Island Country Club. Yeah, I'm terribly excited. It'll be our first Christmas Eve together. Yeah, I'll be ready. Goodbye, dear. Jane, you... You, you mean you're going out tonight with Richard? Well, what about my Christmas Eve party? Well, honey, you, you didn't say anything about it, and Richard invited me to a Christmas party at the Long Island Country Club, and I'd hate to miss it. It's the affair of the season. But this is Christmas Eve, and I thought we'd be together. Christmas Eve isn't like other holidays, you know. Well, I realize that, honey, well, but... Well, I, I could understand if it was Independence Day, then we wouldn't have to be together. We could be independent. <laughs> Honestly, honey, I'm terribly sorry, but there's just nothing I can do about it now. You see, Richard asked me weeks ago, and... Well, anyway, my not being here shouldn't spoil your party. You'll still have Professor Kropotkin and Mrs. O'Reilly and, and Al. I understand, Jane. I, I still have the others. Sure. Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> How are my two little Christmas trees? One full-grown and one a little sapling. Uh, <laughs> why, Professor... Excuse me, a little yuletide joke. <laughs> By the way, girls, a Merry Christmas to you both. Merry Christmas to you, too. Merry Christmas, Professor. I hope you'll excuse me for coming down. I don't mean to interrupt, but I wasn't feeling so good. And when I don't feel good, I always rush out of my room as fast as I can. Why? I wouldn't be found dead in that place. <laughs> well, girls, do you realize tonight's Christmas Eve? Oh, yes. And just look at that blanket of snow outside. Isn't it lovely? That is a matter of opinion. If Mrs. O'Reilly doesn't put glass in my windows, not only will I have a blanket of snow, but I'll have a carpet of the same material. <laughs> Irma, you, you better ask the professor about this evening, honey, before it's too late. Oh, yes. Uh, Professor, will you come to my Christmas Eve party tonight? Tonight? Oh, Irma, I'm so sorry. You mean you can't come either? It can be helped, Irma. Tonight I'm playing my fiddle at the Gypsy Tea Room. I've been practicing all day. Oh, that's terrible. I know, but they pay me for it. <laughs> oh, gee, first Jane disappoints me and now you. Well, look, honey, the professor can't help it. He must earn a living. And after all, you'll still have Mrs. O'Reilly and, and maybe the Martins upstairs. And, of course, there's Al. Come in. Oh, hello, everybody. Merry Christmas. Oh, the same to you, Mrs. O'Reilly. Merry Christmas. Say, Mrs. O'Reilly, that's a beautiful wreath you got on your door downstairs. But that sign in the middle of it. Oh, you don't like it? 
Merry Christmas, lots of cheer. Remember the landlady or you'll freeze next year. <laughs> to me, it's not a sentimental thought. Oh, Mrs. O'Reilly, uh, I'm giving a big surprise Christmas Eve party tonight for you and Al. Will you come tonight? Oh, Irma, darling, I'm so sorry. You mean you're busy, too? Yes, the Martins have invited me to go to Jersey with them. And since they owe me four months back rent, I can't afford to let them get on the train by themselves. <laughs> this is awful. First Jane turned me down, and then the professor. Now you. Well, maybe next year, Irma. Merry Christmas and goodbye. <laughs> Oh, Jane. Oh, sweetie, now stop crying. I know you're disappointed, but you should have told us about your party earlier. Besides, you won't be left alone. You won't be left alone. You bought some food, didn't you? <laughs> what do you mean? Of course I bought food. Then Al will show up. I'll guarantee it. Speaking of food, I think I'll go up to my room and have my dinner. Oh, are you cooking, Professor? No, I take one look at that dump and I sit down and eat my heart out. <laughs> Merry Christmas, girls. And I'm sorry, Emma. Honey, I'm sorry things turned out this way for you. It's all right, Jane. This is one way of finding out who my real friends are. They're Al, every one of them. Come in. Hello, Jane. Hi, chicken. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Al. Oh, Al, Merry, Merry Christmas. I'm so glad to see you. Same here, chicken. I like being with you, too. You mind if I warm my hands on the radiator? Of course not, honey. How did they get so cold? Wanted to take the Crosstown trolley, but with all that snow on the ground, it took me four hours to find a transfer. <laughs> That's too bad, and your poor face, it's so red. Uh, red face? Well, that ain't from the cold chicken. They caught me with yesterday's transfer. <laughs> oh, my goodness, look at the time, and Richard's going to pick me up in an hour. I'm not even dressed yet. Aren't you going to take your top coat off, Al? Oh, thanks, Jane, but I ain't staying. Just come in to wish chicken a Merry Christmas. I got to be on my way. Got a big deal brewing. Oh, Al. Oh. <laughs> chicken, it's important. You and your deal. Well, business is business, chicken. I, I gotta be running along. But I'll be left all alone on Christmas Eve, and, and Al, I depended on you. My own boyfriend. Chicken, if I could only explain... Well, don't bother. None of you must think very much of me if you can leave me alone on Christmas Eve. Fine, friends, I have goodbye. How do you like that? <laughs> Of all the low-down, contemptible, good-for-nothing... Oh, hold it, Jane. I won't have you saying those things about the girl I love. <laughs> I'm not talking about Irma. I mean you. How could you desert her Christmas Eve of all nights? Gee, me, I have to go out with Richard, but you're her boyfriend. Well, Jane, I, I love Irma. And when a man's in love, he's not responsible. He, he may do strange things. Things he'd never do in his right mind. What are you talking about? I went and got a job. <laughs> you got a job? Al, have you been drinking? No, it'd shock you, but it, it's just for one night. Want to make a little dough and buy Irma a present. Well, I apologize, Al. I'm sorry I yelled at you. Forget it. 
listening. Listen, Al, it's the Christmas carolers. Gee, that's pretty. I, 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 I'd like to stay, but I gotta get to work. T tell her I'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye. Bye, Al. Hey, Richard. It's Jane. Jane? What's wrong? You sound terrible. Richard, I, I can't go with you to the Christmas dance. Why not? Are, are you ill? No, no, Richard. I, I'm all right. It's just that, well, Irma, you, well, you see, well, Irma hasn't any family or relatives in New York, and, and, and this Christmas Eve, all our friends seem to be busy, and, oh, gee, I just couldn't leave her alone, Richard. I wouldn't want you to. Are you sure you mean that, Richard? Of course, honey, I understand. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Goodbye, and Merry Christmas, Jane. Merry Christmas, Richard. Al, I thought you left. Came back from my hat. <laughs> I didn't mean to eavesdrop, Jane, but if you're willing to give up a good time tonight for Irma, I guess it's my duty to be with Chicken, too. Oh, Al, that'd be just wonderful. Well, well what about the present you were going to get for Irma? If you don't work tonight, where'll you get the money for it? Gonna hawk my watch. Oh, but, Al, that's the only thing you own. <laughs> you know that no matter how bad times have been, you always said you'd never hawk your watch. Well, a man like me don't need a watch. I sleep all day, so time is not important. <laughs> and at night, it's too late to do anything. Yeah. Come in. Oh, it's you, Professor. Excuse me, Jenny. I've been thinking about poor little Irma and... Well, I decided to give up the job, so tonight I could be with Alma. Oh, but, Professor, won't that cost you money? You get big tips during Christmas. On Christmas Eve, it's not important to make money. It's important to be with friends. After all, what's money? Well, it's pretty important. I see you've been talking to Mrs. O'Reilly again. <laughs> no, my little Irma has no father in New York, so tonight, Professor Kropotkin will be her father. a boy, Pop. Listen, Al, the first chance I get, I'm disinheriting you. Excuse me, everybody. I took the liberty of walking in. Oh, Mrs. O'Reilly, I, th I thought you were on your way to New Jersey. Well, I changed my mind. I got to thinking about poor little Irma being all alone tonight, and I just didn't have the heart to go. I'm going to stay here with Irma. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Professor Kropotkin just said he's going to be her father. I'll tell you, if that's the case, I'll be her mother. I got news for you. If you're the mother, I'll be on the train for Reno in the morning. Now, listen, listen, everybody. I've got a wonderful idea. Irma was going to throw a surprise party for us, and now we'll throw one for her. We'll give her the best Christmas any girl ever had. Swell. I'll go out and hock my watch and buy the present. I'll go get my violin. And we can have the party in my apartment. It's bigger. Come along, Janie. We'll start decorating. Oh, it'll be a merry Christmas. Come on, Professor. Take my arm. A fair swap. She's been taking my blood all year. <laughs> oh, honestly, just wait until Irma finds out. She'll be the happiest girl in New York. <laughs> All 
Albany, Syracuse, Rochester, Cleveland, and Chicago. Next, where to, miss? Please, mister, what is the fare to Minneapolis? Uh, $58 round trip. $58? I only have six. Where can I go for $6? $6? Let me see. How about Niagara Falls? Oh, I couldn't go to Niagara Falls. I'm not even married. (laughs) Uh, I'll find some other place to go. Merry Christmas. And now, Susie Swan sings to us. Listen. My advice, says Susie, you like this brand new kind of lather, so be choosy. Swan gives you beauty lather, rich as cream. Your skin stays soft as any dream, and fresh as dew. I swan to you, says Susie. Ah, say, Susie Swan, you must have been eavesdropping on some beauty experts to come up with such grand advice for the ladies' complexions. And for you ladies listening, I'd like to say that Susie's advice about swan soap is well worth taking because swan's wonderful new kind of beauty lather gives you the kind of complexion care you've been dreaming of. Yes, swan will leave your skin fresh, soft, and lovely. Now, for one thing, swan's new kind of beauty lather is gentle for even the most delicate skins. Why, when you smooth on that extra-rich, extra-creamy lather, you can fairly feel how gently it cleanses and how thoroughly your face is left glowingly clean. Then rinse your face, and you'll notice another swan beauty advantage. That's the way your face feels, smooth and fresh, not all tight and over-soaked. No, because swan's wonderful new kind of lather rinses away so completely. So the next time you wash your face... Take Susie Swan's advice and try white floating Swan Soap's wonderful new kind of beauty lather. Well, we're all down in Mrs. O'Reilly's room. The professor, Al, and myself. We're setting the table, and Mrs. O'Reilly's out trying to find a Christmas tree. Irma? Irma's probably walking around the block. When we're all set to surprise her, we'll send Al out to find her. Right now, Al is beaming proudly. (laughs) Come January the 1st, he will have completed a solid six years of steady unemployment (laughs) (laughs) Professor Kropotkin seems to resent Mrs. O'Reilly's quarters My, my, she lives like a queen and I live like a dog (laughs) Now look, Professor, I know that you and Mrs. O'Reilly have had some differences in the past But now this is Christmas Eve and I want all that to be forgotten you know, she's really a warm-hearted person. Look, look at the trouble she's gone to. She even put mistletoe on the ceiling. She is wasting her time. <laughs> I wouldn't kiss her if I thought she'd cut my rent. <laughs> Easy, she's coming down the hall. Oh, me aching feet. I've walked all over and I can't find a Christmas tree. Did you see Irma anywhere in the neighborhood? No, I didn't, but it's nothing to worry about. We must get the tree before she gets back. Tree? Well, there's only one man who can help us. Who else? Who else but... Hello, Joe. (laughs) Al, got a problem. Need a Christmas tree right away. Huh? I can get one at Macy's already trimmed for a dime? Oh, the dime is for a glass cutter. The tree is in the window. (laughs) Now, Joe, this is Christmas Eve. When I hear jingle bells, I don't want them on a patrol wagon. (laughs) What, Joe? You're playing Santa Claus tonight? Going down a chimney? Joe, this is quite a change for you, isn't it? 
or you're going in with an empty bag and coming out with a full one. <laughs> well, Joe, nothing I can say except good luck and Merry Christmas. Oh, Al, what are we going to do? It's getting so late. Oh, that, that must be Irma. Now, now, let's all surprise her. Stand over there. Let's put out all the lights and give her a big kiss. Uh, come in. Merry Christmas, honey. Here's one for me. You too, my darling daughter. For goodness sake, will someone please put on the lights? <laughs> Richard! I thought Irma needed a shave. <laughs> Richard, I didn't expect you. I thought you went to the club. Well, I couldn't take it. Same old crowd, same old monotony. So I realized that I'd rather be here with real people on Christmas Eve. Oh, Richard, I'm so happy, and you're more than welcome. Oh, where's Irma? Well, she kind of thought we were all deserting her, so she went out in a huff. That's why we're throwing a surprise party for her, and we're waiting for her to come back. I don't want to find chicken until we can get a Christmas tree, though. Uh, got any ideas, Richard? Well, why don't we go out and buy one? Nice gesture, Richard. We'll wait here for you. <laughs> Richard, you don't have to. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jane. I saw several on the way over. I'll have one in a few minutes. I'll be right back. And I'll get the cake out of the oven. And I'll make some punch. And I'll tell you when it's right. <laughs> hey, Jane, what are you crying about? The party's taking form. I know. It's so wonderful having everybody pitch in, Richard getting a tree and all of you giving up things. It's just the most wonderful Christmas I ever had. Look, lady, this is your third round trip on this ferry boat. Ain't you got a home? Ain't you got any friends? No. Well, take my advice. Go get some. All right, I'll try. Thank you and Merry Christmas to you. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the way. Sleigh. Oh, what fun it is to ride. Honey, sleigh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hold it, hold it, fellas. Look, uh, lady, we're Christmas carolers. Now, we don't do this for a living, but we enjoy it. And we rehearse a great deal. Now, we don't mind you joining us, but we like to have the sleigh come after the horse. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, fellas. Let's do it again. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride. When the horse comes after the sleigh. <laughs> look, 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 lady, uh, would you mind running along? Oh, all right. I was just lonely. Merry Christmas. Come in, lady. Have you got a dime for a cup of coffee? Oh, yes, Poor man, and Merry Christmas. Uh, maybe you ought to have another dime for a donut. Oh, thank you. Oh, dear, I don't have any change. Uh, would you like me to break that five for you? <laughs> well, if you don't mind. Uh, are you all alone in New York, too? Yeah. How about you? I'm from Minnesota. Minnesota? How well I know that place. You know, you look very familiar. I do? Well, my name is Peterson. Of course. You're Peterson's little daughter. <laughs> uh, my father's name is George. Yeah, let me think. Peterson. 
Say, that must be George Peterson. How did you know? Why, I remember. You used to live in, um, uh... Minneapolis. Yeah, let me see. George Peterson, Minneapolis. <laughs> That's the place. I never forget a name. Oh, well, it, it's so nice to meet, to meet old friends. Yeah. Especially when you're lonely. You can keep the five dollars, sir. Oh, thank you. But this is only a loan. I'll return it the next time I see your father. Good old Fred Petersburg in Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's Peterson in Minnesota. Oh, mister, mister. <laughs> We've walked for miles. Maybe we better go home and call the police to look for Irma. Yeah, maybe you're right, Jane. Pardon me, but you got a dime. Oh, Al, it's you. You got that quarter you owe me? <laughs> Mushface, ain't you got no character? How can you panhandle on Christmas Eve? Great pickings tonight. Just got a fin from a blonde. Told her I knew her old man, Peterville uh, Peterson in Minnesota. Peterson? Al? Mushface, which way'd you go? Across town, you know? What's the difference? Oh, I've been feeling like a crumb ever since I clipped it. Seemed like such a nice kid. Yeah. Would you give her back this spin? Yeah, thanks. And Merry Christmas. Hey, bud, you got a dime for a cup of coffee? Come on, Al. Come on, let's go home and call the police. I I'm really getting panicky. All right, Jane, I'm with you. lady. I seen that picture, Mildred Pierce. Now, you get off this bridge. I was just looking at the water, Mr. Watchman. Oh, look, lady, don't look down there. Everything that's beautiful is up here. It's Christmas Eve, you know. Yes, I know. And I'm so lonely. Oh, I get it. You're all alone, huh? <laughs> yes. Uh, you got any friends? Yes, but my closest friends are far away. Oh, now don't cry, sister. You're coming home with me. We ain't got much, but we're happy to share it. Hey, Bill. Yeah, yes, yeah, Sergeant. Did you happen to see a blonde girl? Uh, say, lady, what's your name? Irma Peterson. That's all we want to know. Come on along, sister. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> didn't do what? I don't know, but my boyfriend always says to say you didn't do it. Now, look, Janie, we got to be brave. Now it's up to the police. They'll find her, but we got to take our minds off it. Mrs. O'Reilly, would you like to dance? Oh, I'd love to. I'll dance with her. <laughs> I'll play the fiddle. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. How do you like that? I just started playing already. The neighbors got the police here. No, no, it's a squad car pulling up. I think it's Irma. My chicken. Oh, Al. Al, it's Irma. The police have found her. She's coming up the steps. Now, quick, turn out the lights, everybody. Come on, we can still surprise her and have the party. Uh, come in, dearie. 
Oh, Irma, darling. Surprise, chicken. Here's a big kiss for you. And here's a kiss from your father. Just <laughs> turn on the lights. I'm dying. I just keep looking around. Darling, Merry Christmas. Where have you been? You're all here. I, I thought no one loved me, and I, I felt so alone. Oh, honey, don't you know that people always spend Christmas Eve with their loved ones? You're the one we love the most. Exactly my sentiments. Oh, bless my little Irma. You're like my own daughter. Sure, chicken, I'd never leave you. I want to spend all my Christmas Eves with you. Oh, this is the best Christmas a girl ever had. Surrounded by her friends. Oh, it's midnight. Uh, is that right, Al? Wait a minute, look at my watch. Al, why are you going to the window? Watch happens to be across the street. <laughs> You're right, chicken, it's 12 o'clock. Merry Christmas, chicken. Merry Christmas, Al. And Merry Christmas, Professor Kapotkin and Mrs. O'Reilly and Richard and Jane and all our friends. Merry, Merry Christmas. And as for me, my sentiments are the same as those of my friend, Irma. Ladies, you can be sure you're getting complexion care that's the last word if you make White Floating Swan your facial soap. You see, Swan Soap gives you a wonderful new kind of lather. A new kind of beauty lather that's extra rich, extra creamy. A new kind of lather that smooths on your skin gently and softly, yet cleanses so thoroughly your skin is left fairly glowing with cleanliness. And Swan's new kind of beauty lather gives you another beauty advantage you'll love. And that's the way Swan rinses away. So completely your skin is left fresh and lovely, not all tight and over-soaked. So ladies, for a complexion care that's the last word, how about trying Swan's wonderful new kind of beauty lather? My Friend Irma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Frank Bingman speaking. Here's to a Merry Christmas cake, the lighter, better-tasting kind you get with Spry. Delicate snow-white layers swirled with fluffy frosting and heaped high with coconut. Rich, chocolatey devil's food. Name your favorite and make it the Spry One Bowl Way. It's sure to be better tasting, made with Spry, because no other type of shortening has Spry's amazing cake improver secret. For a gala holiday cake, rely on Spry. Amazing Spry with cake improver. That's S-P-R-Y, Spry. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Christmas, I wish you a Merry Christmas. I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Oh, bring us some figgy pudding. Oh, bring us some figgy pudding. Oh, bring us some figgy pudding and bring it out here.
We won't go until we got some. We won't go until we got some. We won't go until we got some. So bring some out here. Well, guys, that does it for Mr. James Stewart, Miss Donna Reeds, and Miss Kathy, and Murray Wilson in the My Friend Irma Christmas special. I hope you guys will join me January the 4th as I bring my New Year's Eve and New Year's Day episodes to you guys to ring in the new year. And... Join me again on January the 5th as I bring to the show Miss Nancy Kelly in two episodes guaranteed to chill your spine for the first week of the new year and welcome a new comedy to the program, Father Knows Best. You may have heard Father knows best on my Thanksgiving episode and if you haven't I would recommend going back and listening to that starring Mr. Robert Young and that will be the first Friday on the 8th of January and once again guys if you enjoyed the show please comment and subscribe you can listen to me now available on your favorite podcast platforms such as spotify apple google Castbox, and wherever else you get your podcasts from and i am also available on your alexa and google home devices just ask google or alexa that you would like to listen to the mystery and comedy old time radio podcast and it should pull my podcast right up and stay tuned for the coming weeks guys as i bring to the show back mr gene kelly and many others to the program and have a great night guys thanks and merry christmas